It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. We are recording this episode on March 22nd, 2021, and I wanted to discuss something that happened in the news a few weeks ago in mid-March 2021. That is something I don't know too much about, but I thought was an important subject matter to touch upon. So Jason had actually not heard of this at all. Maybe you, the listener, didn't know about this. So hopefully this will be an educational episode for all of us about current events and a broader topic, which is women feeling unsafe. And this is something that I've reflected a lot on, especially in 2020. I realized that I had been, or at least felt, ignorant around my safety as a woman. It really wasn't until I started hearing other women speak out about how they felt unsafe doing something as simple as taking a walk in their neighborhood. And I reflected on that because generally, I don't consciously feel unsafe. I will say that I feel very aware of who's around me. I try to be mindful if anything ever feels like an intuitive hit to be uncomfortable or unsafe, certainly I will tune into that. I will follow my gut instincts there. But when I started noticing, hearing, reading about how other women were feeling about their safety, it brought up a lot of questions for me about, is it really true that women are less safe than men? Do we need to be concerned or is it traumatic fear? Is it something that we've been culturally conditioned to be fearful of? Are things really as dangerous as we think that they are out in the world versus in the digital world? And I've been reflecting a lot about this, especially since I love traveling. And throughout my life, I've done a number of traveling experiences on my own, going back to when I was in college. I actually traveled throughout Europe on my own. And looking back on that, I'm like, wow, I'm really glad that I did that. And I don't remember being that nervous about it, which is kind of fascinating. Just thinking about how I was on trains by myself, like sleeping on trains and sleeper cars by myself. I remember one time I was in a sleeper car going, I think, through Italy. And I remember there was a guy in the room on the bunk across from me because he had really intense body odor (laughs) that I will not forget. So I remember I was sharing a cabin. I don't think it was just the two of us. I think there are other people for those who haven't done a sleeper train before. At least back then, you could have like four strangers in basically bunk beds and you could upgrade from a regular size, a regular seat so that you could actually lay down and sleep. And I remember back then, Jason, being nervous about somebody stealing my stuff or my money. That was my main concern. I wasn't really that concerned for my physical safety. I remember there was one time in that same trip when I got to Vienna. For context, I was studying abroad and we had a couple breaks during this school semester where we could go and travel. 
And I don't think anyone, including my parents, really thought much of me traveling by myself. But I was studying in the Netherlands and I traveled to Germany with my classmates as like a group trip. But then from Germany down through Austria and then into Italy and then back from Italy to did we go through France, Germany, maybe? Gosh, I'm, I'm only vaguely remembering all the geography. But my point being is I traveled a very far distance by myself. I was staying in hostels by myself. I was traveling on these trains by myself. I was taking other forms of transportation by myself. And I think the only memory that I have around feeling slightly unsafe or wondering how safe I was was when I got to Vienna like late at night and I walked from the train station to the hostel by myself, you know, but it's interesting looking back on things like that because now I don't know if I would want to do that, even though I'm older and more experienced and more confident. That sounds pretty scary to me. Is it that the state of the world has changed since then? Is it that we are more aware of what's going on in the world thanks to social media and digital content that has heightened our exposure to things? And also around that same time when I was in college, I lived in Boston with a roommate and I would do all sorts of things by myself. I would walk home. I would go grocery shopping at night and walk home like many blocks by myself. Like so many things that, again, as an adult, I would probably think twice about. And I don't think it was college ignorance. I think it was just a different time. And the other reason that this all started to become a big point reflecting on is when I traveled across the country in the US by myself recently, I remember people starting to say like, oh, is that really safe? And it took me a moment to realize that like, wow, people have different perceptions of safety. And I had to really start to look into what was going on. And I remember feeling, Jason, like very frustrated because it felt like I was being constrained or something like, oh, it's not safe for a woman to travel by herself. You know, why would you do that? You should always have someone with you, you know, and even when you have someone with you, if it's another woman, then you feel vulnerable too. And it just makes me sad because the freedom of doing something like traveling, but also the freedom of a basic thing, like walking around your neighborhood at night, like that feeling like you can't do that on your own, or it's not safe to do that on your own is really disturbing. One thing that got brought up, as I mentioned earlier, in terms of the current events is a case that I want to learn more about along with you, Jason, that has really been brought up around the subject of women's safety and perceptions of it. So there's a woman named Sarah Everard, if I'm pronouncing her name right. This was in the UK. She disappeared but I think I pulled up a couple of different articles. So I have a recollection that it was found out that she was killed. There's a suspicion of murder, but I'm kind of pouring through some different articles. And I pulled up one from March 11th, 2021, which was about her disappearance. She's a 33-year-old woman who was walking home in London one night. And this Media attention that it got sparked an outpouring on social media from women who were sharing their experiences of sexual assault and harassment. And my knowledge of it so far is that a lot of people were feeling frustrated because when this news broke, some people responded by saying, well, she had it coming, like she wasn't taking good care of herself. She wasn't watching out. She was, you know, she wasn't paying attention. Like they were kind of victim blaming her. And this got 
people to feel really angry and frustrated, I think, for very good reasons. So there was a whole like women's rights activism uprise. Um, Oh, and she was murdered. Okay, I am pulling this up. So that's what I recalled. Another uh, coverage of it on March 15th, it does reference her being murdered. Uh, She was, you know, as I was saying, walking home in, in the city of London. The man accused of murdering her is a serving member of the police force. And so that people were like really upset about that, of course. But thousands of women were just feeling really frustrated because many of us have felt intimidated or harassed while walking alone at night. And reading the story, it's obviously very sad. Clearly, like this victim blaming thing is not okay, but it brings up this bigger messaging for me. It's like, the amount of people that have been sexually harassed or abused is really mind-blowing to me. And I feel fortunate, Jason, that I have to really reflect deeply on my own experiences in order to even remember times where I felt harassed. And I don't have any memories of being abused. And sometimes I'll like feel like I'm like going back through my memories. I'm like, did I like suppress a memory? Because the statistics are so high, I almost find it hard to believe that I haven't had any major sexual harassment or abuse. Like, that's also mind blowing for me because I think it's like one in four, one in three. I'll have to pull up the number, but like so many people have been victims of sexual harassment or abuse. And it's like, what if I've experienced it and either, either um, repressed it, like I said, or internalized it? Like I took it on as my fault or I even like took it on as just like part of life as a woman. I mean, that's the other thing. It's like, is it so common that you don't that for me, someone like me, that I I just don't even think about it that much because it's just part of being a woman. And that's really disturbing, too, because this isn't okay. Murder, of course, is not okay, But harassment in general causing fear in another human being who wants just who just wants to go about their life with freedom just to walk home at night shouldn't be a scary thing it shouldn't be like you're afraid for your life to walk home and this is of course true for every gender and any human being you know no matter their background wherever they're living like it's just so disturbing to me that there's so many reflections we have to make about where it's safe to be, you know, like it's sad. I mean, it's a reality because some places we perceive as safer or not. But then I also wonder, Jason, like, is it really unsafe? Have we been led to believe that it's unsafe? Is it unsafe for a reason? Do you know what I mean? Like an episode that we recently recorded that hasn't come out yet, we are talking about homeless people and how there's like this general conception around them or perception of them where we see them as dangerous or mentally ill or drug users or all these things. And it's like we try to avoid them. We distance ourselves from it. And that causes us to not understand them. Another example of this reminds me of too, Jason, before I, we weigh on, on on your thoughts is when I used to live in Venice Beach, that was another place where a lot of people were concerned about safety <laughs> And looking back, I'm like, maybe this was super ignorant of me. Like, maybe I'm just very fortunate. But when I got my dog, Evie, I used to walk her outside along the boardwalk, which is a fairly dangerous part of Los Angeles, apparently. But I used to take her for walks out there by myself 
all the time for years. Evie came into my life in, I always forget if it was, I think uh, 2010. And I think I moved in 2011. So it was like a year, year and a half where like every single day throughout the day and night, I would take her out for walks. And I remember reflecting back then, Jason, over whether or not Venice was really as dangerous as people thought it was. Because I started to talk to, or they would talk to me, people that were probably drug dealers and or homeless. And they looked incredibly, quote, sketchy or threatening. But once I started talking to them, I realized they're just other human beings. And they loved Evie. So in a way, Evie became like almost my protector, not just because she's a dog, but when she was a puppy, these people, you know, and again, I I don't even like to use that term, but meaning like the people out there that someone might perceive as sketchy would come up and talk to me and Evie and they'd be like, oh my God, she's so cute. And I remember one of them, and I wish I could remember his name, from a distance, you might make all these assumptions about him based on his appearance, but his heart melted over Evie. And every time I took her for a walk, he'd be like, oh my God, is that Evie? Hi, Evie. And he'd come over and he'd just like pour into this puddle of love over this puppy. And I remember feeling like protected by that experience because it showed me the humanity in other people. And again, maybe I wasn't as safe as I thought I was, you know, maybe, but is it just a matter of perception or was I just lucky? Like, was I just lucky that nothing happened to me during those times? Well, first of all, I guess the first question is, do you or have you ever on these solo walks with Evie? Because obviously you walk Evie around your neighborhood now in Los Angeles, right? Do you or have you ever considered carrying pepper spray, bear spray, a knife, a taser. You know, my, my curiosity is, you know, in the empowerment, it's like there's two sides of this conversation to me. There, there's the empowerment of women to defend themselves, even though I use this term lightly, you know, they shouldn't have to, right? Like the, the world is to a place where like women taking self-defense classes and carrying weapons on them or spray on them or, you know, all kinds of things that I've talked to other women friends about who live in densely populated metro areas. I mean, we're talking about friends that live in New York City, the Bay Area, Los Angeles, Chicago, London, Detroit, places like that. So I I guess my curiosity, Whitney, is do you carry weapons or deterrence? And if so, if you've ever experimented with that, how has that changed your state going out alone? And if you do not do that, why don't you do that? It's a great question. Well, first of all, these days I don't walk outside alone. Or I'm sorry, I don't walk at night alone. During the day, yes. And I made that decision not to walk after sundown unless I really needed to for this very reason of this conversation, which is part of what makes me sad, right? But I think I used to walk Evie around, obviously, but like in my current neighborhood, fairly certain I did until a certain point of it being brought up over and over again. I'm just like, well, I don't really need to walk. Luckily, Evie has a little yard to go in so she can use the bathroom. She doesn't have to go for a walk, right? So I can choose the time that I take her. And that's a luxury. That's a privilege right there. You know, first of all, not everybody has the privilege of being able to decide when and where they get to walk. I mean, you might literally need to walk to get to your job, to get to the subway, you know, for your dog, like all of these situations that anybody who feels vulnerable would need to be in, right? In terms of pepper spray, I do have some. I mean, I've never used it. 
Like I know how to use it, but it feels so weird and awkward. I even brought it with me on my cross country road trip, Jason. And I would always make sure I knew where it was because I was sleeping in my car and people were concerned about me. I get it. Like I'm, I wasn't just like ignorantly going on a trip by myself, but I did tons of research actually. And I feel like we talked about this in an episode where I basically read a bunch of articles about solo female travelers. I read stories about women who'd done cross-country drives. I got some tips. The number one tip was to follow your gut instinct. And I did tons of research about every place I was going. I made sure I was driving during the day and the roads were okay. And like, you know, all of these things that I factored in. And one of the things that I did was make sure that I knew where the pepper spray was. In terms of a weapon, though, that's really all I've had. I've actually never fired a gun in my life. I've thought about learning, but guns make me uncomfortable. So I think it would take a lot of work for me to have a comfort level. Same with knives. I mean, I suppose, but like there's just so many things like I guess something is better than nothing, but I wouldn't even know... (laughs) fully how to defend myself with any of these tools. And I think that's part of it, Jason. It's like, all right, well, perhaps I should learn. Do I need to learn, though, is the big question. And why do I need to learn? Like, why? Why are we living in this time like this? I mean, I also am am admitting my ignorance because, and also privilege, right? My privilege is that I live in neighborhoods that are generally safe, I travel in neighborhoods that are generally safe. Like I live in a country that's generally safe, right? We're in a developed nation. So this is not to say that the entire world is safe. I'm sure people in other countries and other areas have it a completely different situation. So I'm speaking from my personal experience only, Jason. And certainly I have the privilege of not experiencing a time where I thought I was going to lose my life due to someone else. You know, I've never been in a position that I consciously aware of in this moment where I thought I would be kidnapped, where I thought I'd be raped, where I thought I would be, you know, harmed in any way. And sadly, percentage wise, somebody listening to the show has probably been in one of those situations. So I feel like we sh- should have had a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode because this can be incredibly triggering for anyone any gender, right? But women we're talking about right now and anyone who identifies as a woman too. So I think that's a privilege, Jason. Long-winded answer to you is, yeah, it's a privilege that I haven't felt the need to fully be ready to defend myself. You talk about an interesting point of this though, Whitney, is like, you know, living in a quote, relatively safe neighborhood. And I think that, I mean, this really brings up a lot of assumptions, I think, about socioeconomics and classes and the judgments we have, right? Because, you know, we know that, I guess, you know, we could look at statistics, right? We could look at different cities or different municipalities or counties or whatever the case may be, countries, and look at the rates of violent crime and try and assess this or violent crimes toward women, because that's what we're talking about in this episode. But of course, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to be completely safe all the time. You know, I think there's this idea that if I make more money and I move to a quote, nicer neighborhood, I'll somehow not, you know, ever be at risk of being victimized. But just because I think a person lives, or in this case, a woman lives in quote, nicer neighborhood, doesn't mean that you're not going to have some shit go down, right? 
it might mean that statistically your chances are lower. But to your point, because you've chosen not to go out alone at night, Whitney, you're obviously taking different precautions in, into account. I think this brings up an interesting point, though. And again, I come at this from you know, the perspective of someone who identifies as a man. And I've even when I've lived in, I don't even know what you would want to call them, neighborhoods that other people would judge as, ooh, you should watch yourself. I never really felt unsafe. That's the big difference here, right? Is like even when I lived in Chicago, New York, grew up in Detroit and lived in these cities, I'm in LA now, you know, I'll take my dog out at midnight, you know, and I mean, that's a whole nother conversation about about Bella and dog theft. I don't want that to blur the conversation here. But my point is, as a man, I have never felt what you are experiencing, right? So I'm trying to understand and and empathize as best I can, not having a direct experience of what that's like to fear for my life walking alone at midnight in a large major city, which I've done in many cities I've lived in. So while I can't have a direct experience, it's more that I'm coming at this from curiosity so I can understand your experience, any of the listeners that might message us about this, because I feel like this is a topic we could probably get some emails and DMs about. At what point, Whitney, though, do you take precautions and adjust your behavior, right? Adjust how you're living your life to keep yourself what you perceive as keep yourself safe, but you're actually preventing yourself from doing certain activities, right? So we bring up the example you gave of not going out at night alone. Well, what if you do want to take Evie out at night? Do you, you know, ask a friend, someone, you know, because I know obviously you have people in the neighborhood that you say, hey, you know, could you accompany me on this walk? And I guess my overall question is like, What's the line of you limiting or restricting certain things you want to do to keep yourself safe? And that's probably a macro question because we do that all the time, right? But where's that line for you of like, ah, I really want to do this thing, but I feel unsafe, so I'm not going to do it. And how do you adjust around that? I don't know. Does the question make sense? I feel like I'm a little bit muddled here. I mean, I think the question is really like, how do we proceed given all of this? And like, also, how can we change this? In a CNN article that I was reading about Sarah Everard, Everard, there's some really great points in here. I'll link to this article. This is also, again, the article that was talking about her being missing and not concluded as murdered yet. So certainly a lot had developed since this article came out. But in this, they talk about how women in general have a constant mental risk assessment every time that they're out on their own. And this could be, do I take a longer route home to avoid poorly lit streets? Do I need to be prepared to run? Am I wearing the right shoes so that I could get away? That constant risk assessment, I think, is so incredibly draining. And it also might show up in ways that it has for me where it's like, I would rather just go take the risk and live my life than like constantly be living in fear. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. People certainly feel that way about COVID. <laughs> you know, I mean, at what point do we stop living in a, a place of freedom? Are we being oppressed in a way? And are we need to address the deeper issue here. The solution is not like just stay at home and that it, it, something's got to be fixed here. And in the same article, they said how in the London area, women were advised not to go out alone while Sarah's disappearance was investigated. And people were fighting back and they were like, what about telling men not to go out? What if men had a curfew? Why do women have to be responsible for this? And I thought that was an amazing point because it's absolutely true. Like, what if the police are more involved? I mean, like, there's got to be something that can be done about this because 
you know, one person being murdered from this, like the amount of resources it takes and the media coverage and the investigations, like so many resources going in to try to figure out what happened. But are they putting in enough resources to preventing it in the first place? I'm saying that out of ignorance, I don't fully know. But this article also outlines some statistics. And this is mind blowing. In the CNN article, they said that over 70% of women surveyed by UN Women UK said that they had experienced sexual harassment in public spaces. That figure rose to 97% among women between the ages of 18 to 24. 97% of people in that survey. It's insane, right? One in four women in, in the UK alone will experience domestic abuse and one in five sexual assault during her lifetime. Other statistics I found are, you know, one out of every six American women have been the victim of an attempted or, well, I don't, in some of these words, I already said it, but just this can be so triggering. I'll just say sexual abuse. One in six women have been the victim of sexual abuse. At least, I would say, because this might be particular to some specific types of sexual abuse. And it's like, that's mind-blowing because I don't hear that many people talking about it outside the media. Like, honestly, in my head, I think I know one woman who had a very extreme form of sexual abuse. And I'm sure there are more stories that I just haven't heard. And, we, you know, during the Me Too movement, we heard a lot of women speaking out. And I remember thinking, I'm completely in the minority. Like, it felt like every friend of mine was posting a story about Me Too. I didn't have one. And that, what a privilege not to have one. But, like, then again, I kept thinking, like, maybe I have more than I even realize. Like, how much of this have I just completely let go? Because, like I said, it's it just feels so normal. It feels normal to, you know, the crazy situations that I've been in that I didn't even perceive as crazy at the time because of the way these situations happen. And this is why victim blaming is such a crucial thing to work on collectively is like it is so commonplace that when people talk about sexual assault or harassment, Jason, that they blame themselves for it. So I think more women, myself included, have gone through some type of trauma, but like it feels subtle because we automatically blame ourselves or take the responsibility or brush it off. It's hard to examine. And at the time, it's just like, oh, that's how men are. You know, that's how it is. Like someone saying to me, oh, well, you're the one walking through Venice Beach. Like it's your responsibility. Yeah, I can totally see the perspective. But at the same time, what do you mean? That's where I live. (laughs) Like, Oh, I'm responsible if I'm harassed or abused, assaulted. Like, you know, and this, we have that concept of, oh, well, she was just asking for it. And we talk about the way a woman was dressing, a way a woman looked, a place that a woman put her in. Why was she out at night by herself? I think that was part of the response that Sarah was getting in the UK is like, well, she was the one walking out at night by herself. Like, what do you expect? And that mentality, I think, has affected a lot of women and all different types, people of all genders. Maybe that's affected us more than we've even recognized. And it does it unfortunately, it takes something like Sarah's story for people to to step back and say, wait a second, like this is really bad. 
just like, thank goodness. I mean, actually speaking of sexual harassment and abuse and assault and taking advantage of, of people, there's a huge story in the news right now, which I don't know how much you know about this, Jason, but with David Dobrik, who is this like incredibly successful YouTuber and podcaster and all of that. And like, it seems like his career is completely, who knows what's going to happen. It reminds me a little bit of Logan Paul, even though it's it's a completely different situation that he's in, but what the aftermath of basically being involved with, you know, some sexual abuse that was going on and sexual assault within his community of friends and think and taking accountability and all of that. I think it's an incredibly important discussion because he's a, a very successful 24 year old man that a lot of kids look up to and he needs to take account. We need to see people like him admit their mistakes and work on them and pay the consequences because they're the next generation of men. And unfortunately, it takes some really horrible things that have happened to others for us to wake up to how bad this is, myself included. So it's like, how can we get more involved with speaking up for people and victims? And that's something that I want to look into more as a result of reading about Sarah Everard. Like, what can we do? Can we go to protest? Can we sign petitions? Can we speak out more like we're doing on the podcast right now? What do you think, Jason? And what are some ways that you believe we can create a change? Well, I was reading some of the articles prior to this episode about how some people were calling for the continued defunding of the police, being the fact that, as you mentioned, Whitney, it was a metropolitan police officer that's been charged in her kidnapping and murder. And so on the one side, you see people who are talking about you know, defunding police or getting to the heart of a lot of the corruption. I mean, the police have been certainly at the heart of a lot of things. This is certainly a, a newer revelation, but it does spark a larger conversation of abuse of power. Because if women continue to be assaulted, because that's what we're talking about by men, then it brings up a fundamental issue at the question of consciousness of people in the sense that men in particular white men, have for a long, long time been able to get away with a lot of things. Let's just really, really be honest about it. That from judicial system to laws to the way that we have continued to treat women, the way we continue to treat people of color, minorities, people that are you know at the poverty line or quote lower class, if we really just kind of blow this out, to me, it's a question of we could reform the police, we could defund the police, we could have free civic programs for, say, physical combat training for women and make that free for women. We could certainly do those things. In addition to those concepts, my mind, Whitney, goes to, and I don't know how to do this, but it seems to me that at a level of consciousness, if we as men continue largely to regard and perceive women, people of color, minorities, etc., as less than us, and that we have the right to do what we want with them, which I really think on a consciousness level, so long as we continue to have this aggressive, masculine, dominant structure guiding governments, guiding corporations, guiding society, these kind of things are, I think, going to keep continuing. Because there's a fundamental lack of respect and regard for humanity of women in this context that men continue to belittle 
assault, harm, murder. I mean, this to me is a consciousness level thing. And, and that begs the question, how do you get a person to regard another human being as worthy of love, respect, and protection when they don't? How do you get a person who looks at a woman and sees them as property or a sexual object or that I can do whatever I want with you and I can dominate you and overpower you quite literally? I mean, the roots and the poison in the soil is so deep on this one that, again, in addition to, again, I don't know, deeper psychological evaluations for our law enforcement, perhaps, like really getting into deeper psychological evaluations of are they fit to serve in this position? That might be a great start. Again, I do believe in having free access to more tools to keep women safe and feeling empowered to protect themselves. But until we somehow have a system to train this anger and rage and hatred and oppression out of men, particularly white men. I don't know that at the root of this, we are going to be able to pull those poison roots out and reframe things. Because I really think that's part of it, Whitney, is men, white men, have been so used to doing whatever the fuck they want in society and getting away with it. I mean, we saw it as a tangential thing, but also related. What happened in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago at the time of this recording? when those eight Asian American women were killed, right? And the response of the police in Georgia, I remember were, oh, you know, the shooter was having a bad day. He was having a, like, are you fucking kidding me? Like even the language and the regard that we use, right? If that was a person of color, if that was a black man, guarantee you the language and the framework would have been completely different around it. It's a young white man. He was having a bad day. Like there's no accountability. So to me, I think at the fundamental root of can we hold white men accountable for their violence and their oppression and their hatred, right? Can we really honestly hold them accountable? And again, I don't know that punishment is going to fix it. It's like, how do you convince a person to extend respect and love to a person that's different from them when their whole lives they've been told something completely different? This is a really difficult problem, right? Because you can't just go up and like, you need to respect women. You need to respect people of color. They're your equals. Stop oppressing them. Stop being violent toward them. Stop, you know, these micro... You can't just point at someone and snap your fingers and tell them to change overnight. So I don't know, Whitney. I mean, this is a long answer, but at a level of consciousness and reframing a person's perception, this is the really fucking hard question. How do we do it? Because if we don't, this is just going to keep going on. We can reform all the policies we want, I think, to a degree, but unless we change it at a, at a level of mind, this shit's going to keep happening. Well, I think it begins with the conversations and speaking out. One of the things that I link to in the show notes for this episode at wellevator.com, which is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com, is a stream of Twitter, a stream of tweets from trending trending on Twitter around this. And just reading through it, it was women sharing how they were affected by Sarah Everard and how it's a huge issue, you know, but it goes beyond a tweet. I think it begins with a conversation. It begins with us speaking out about it, but we have to take some action around it. And through reading these, I see that I'm not the only one who feels like things have changed so much in just... 10 plus years, you know? And I think the fear, though, is part of the issue. I have questions in terms of like the media coverage of things like this. Like we talked about compassion fade in an episode. It's incredibly important for us to have compassion. But we also have to think, like, gosh, like how is the media playing a role in this? Like, what messages are people being given about 
sexuality and women versus men and the fear that we have where women are terrified to even go outside. It's a very real thing. But again, it's like living our lives with so much fear is so awful. Now, also reading through this and and part of my just surface level knowledge about what happened to Sarah is like, apparently she was taking a lot of precautions, Jason. Like, I think she was wearing brightly lit clothing. She was telling people where she was going. She was doing everything that she knew how to protect herself. And this still happened. And that is really unsettling because it could happen to anyone anytime. So what are you going to do? Not go outside? And it's like, okay, well, you're potentially taking a risk every time you go outside. Maybe you feel as protected as you possibly can, and that might still not be enough. Maybe those of us who have gotten by, like myself, are just incredibly lucky. Clearly, I'm in the minority of women that haven't had any major sexual harassment or assault or abuse. And that's that to me is incredibly unsettling. Like the fact that I've been going through my life thinking like, oh, everything's fine, but without really recognizing what other women were going through, that's a problem too. So raising our awareness, speaking out against it, and then also really looking for how we can contribute to positive change and not just giving up and being frustrated and being like, well, this is how things are. Just like I've talked about, I've become more committed to being anti-racist. I've been committed to learning about the dangers of social media. I've been committed to seeing what's going on with kids and their mental health. I guess I have to add this to the list too. It hits close to home, so I'm happy to. But it's also like, it can be incredibly exhausting when you start to examine. We talked about the homeless the other day, and it's like, I would love to get more involved with that. It's like, there's so many issues happening, not to mention us being vegan, Jason. It's like... It can feel really depressing and frustrating at times that there's so much going on and and each of us are just trying to get by. But, you know, this is the state of where we're at. and, And I think each of us do have power to make a change and chipping away at it and being committed to it, I think, is a big part of it. So I'm glad that we covered this. I don't think that we have any great answers to it, but at least we're planting some seeds. And and as you said, Jason, maybe one of the listeners will have something to share. So we want to empower you, the listener, to reach out to us. If you have a story you'd like to share privately or publicly, let us know. If you have some resources you would like to share, please let us know. Actually, a great place to do that would be to comment on the show notes on our website. So again, the show notes are at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. There's a podcast section of our website. Every single episode has a comment section. You can go in and comment if you would like to share something publicly. We also have transcripts if this episode is helpful. Again, we didn't really have any solutions here today. But if you would like to share this with someone, you can do it there. And also on our website has a link to our email where you can privately reach us as well as our social media where we can have more of a public discussion around this. We appreciate you listening. We would truly love to hear from you, especially on a subject matter like this. And hopefully we can follow up to this episode with uh, some more solutions. And, And Jason, I think it'd be wonderful to have a guest on the show that could talk about this with more knowledge and awareness so that we can contribute to some change here. So thanks for being willing to explore it, Jason. Thanks for being an upstanding man. (laughs) I was thinking, I don't know if it was today or yesterday, but recently I was thinking how, and this is a whole nother topic, but I'll touch upon it very briefly, how a lot of women think like all men are 
awful, you know, oh, men suck. It's not true. And that's, I think, a note, important note to end on here. It's not all men are dangerous, not men, all men are abusers or of a, you know, sexist mindset or whatever else you want to label them with. There are many men out there that are doing great things and that are incredible human beings that are contributing to positive change. I'm fortunate and grateful that you are one of them, Jason. And I'm grateful that you stand up for women in the ways that you do. So thank you for being that. I think you inspire a lot of women and a lot of women trust you as a result. And that's a positive, important thing to remind ourselves of is really acknowledging the men that are doing great things too and not getting into this really judgmental categorization of other human beings. Well, I appreciate that, Whitney. And I wanted to share one really quick final tip that you actually sparked with that beautiful acknowledgement. One of the big things that I think men can do for their female friends, if you're at a party, you're at a gathering, you are at a public setting where, say, one of your female friends or family members needs to walk to get back to their car, right? A gathering like this. Offer to walk them to their car. Offer to have their arm in your arm, whatever makes them feel safe, and escort them to their vehicle. Make sure they get home safely. And ladies, don't be afraid if you have a gut intuition, and this has happened an innumerable number of times on both counts, Whitney, and you just brought it up for me, of me you know, watching a female friend getting ready to leave a party and going up and saying, hey, you know, would you like me to walk with you? But vice versa, I've had so many women at parties, gatherings, conferences, things like that, ask me if I would walk them to their car. And I'm always happy to do that. So men, if you tune into your female friends or your, you know, your friends that identify as women, really just be more present to being protective and being there for them and being present in that way. And ladies, if you have a gut intuition that you want to ask a male friend of yours or someone you feel safe with, let's say that, to accompany you in those type of situations, get in the practice of asking. Because for me, I'm always happy to do that and always just happy to provide that level of mental and physical safety when it's appropriate. So I just wanted to say that, Whitney, as, as we're closing out this episode, I think that's such an easy, actionable thing to do. And especially as life is opening back up again, men be mindful of offering that presence and ladies don't be afraid to ask. So that's my two cents as we end this episode. And I'm sure this conversation is not over with, but again, to you, dear listener, if you have thoughts, musings, remarks, stories, please let us know. We're here to receive, we're here to converse. And we always appreciate you getting uncomfortable with us and uh, supporting the podcast as you do. So until next time, thank you so much. We appreciate you. And we'll be back with another episode of This Might Get Uncomfortable Soon. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.